Hey church, Pastor Josh here. This sermon recording today is a little bit unusual. I'm actually coming to you from my office on Monday morning. What happened is we had a little bit of a hiccup with our recording last night at church, and since we had to postpone morning church uh, because of the snowstorm, um, I really wanted people to be able to hear uh, this passage that we preached um, on Sunday, since we're going to kind of keep on trucking the following week and carry on with our study of Romans 12. So even though sometimes in the past when there's been a hiccup with recording, we just let it be, move on to the next week, I thought that maybe I needed to put something up um, just so that there's not this hole, for, especially for our paradise folks in the study for Romans 12. So if it's not too weird for you, Um, I figured we'd just do it Monday morning, and I would try my best to preach again when I preached the previous night um, on Romans 12, 9 through 13. So, if you got your Bibles with you, open it up to that particular passage. We're looking at just a small paragraph tonight, but it is one that has a lot happening. In fact, I told the folks at church last night... Buckle up, uh, because there is a lot of information coming at you very quickly, and all of it in the form of commands. So here we go. If you would follow along with me as I read from Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is the word of God. Thanks be to him. Let's pray. Father, I ask and pray that the words of my mouth today and the meditations of all of the hearts that are listening online to this sermon Uh, would be pleasing in your sight, that even with this sort of unique situation of re-recording the sermon on Monday, God, that you would would do what you promise in your word and that you would make it uh, fruitful, never returning void. We ask and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, like I told you, there's a lot going on here. You saw it. In fact, I named this sermon rapid fire, because that's what it felt like as I'm reading through the text. It's just these, these bullet points, boom, 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 all of them instructions, all of them imperatives, do this, do this, do this, do this. It uh, makes your head spin <laughs> as you read through it. In fact, uh, I was thinking how it kind of reminded me a bit of when I started to play golf and how one of my first memories on the golf course is being out there with a fellow that really knew what he was doing. Uh, hit the ball well, hit the ball in a way that I remember as a kid being like, man, if only I could hit a golf ball like that, I'd have it made. And so I asked him for some pointers. Hey, what do I need to do to have a good golf swing like yours? He's like, okay, you really want to know? And what followed was the rapid fire of golf instructions. Keep your head down. Keep your eye on the ball. Bend your knees, but don't bend your knees too much. Make sure your backswing doesn't go past 90 degrees. Shift your weight onto your back foot. Move your hips to the target as you finish the swing. You know, dig through the ball, but also try to sweep it off the ground. And don't overthink it. 
And after that rapid fire barrage of instructions, I think in a daze, I just said, thank you. (laughs) And thought to myself, that was so much so quick that I have no idea what to do with it. And maybe there's a little bit of something about this text that kind of feels the same. Chances are, if you read through this devotionally, if this was your Bible reading for this Monday morning, February 27th, you would just kind of blitz through it. And because it's so much so quick, not give too much attention to each one of the commands. I know that that would be my habit. And so let's slow down and let's try to kind of place this um, in the broader context of Romans 12. That's, that's how my mind has to sort of wrap around uh, Bible text and understanding them, especially ones like this. I have to think first, uh, where does this fit in the bigger picture of what's been going on, what's being said in the scripture? And then maybe that'll begin to kind of sort of unpack what the big significance, the big idea of this portion of scripture is. So let's try to do that and orient this in the broader thought of Romans 12. Um, so there, there's one thing I'll say just very briefly, but it's worth being said as a reminder. Uh, part of what we're seeing here with these rapid-fire instructions is what Pastor Brian and myself have been telling you guys to expect in Romans 12. Because if you remember, we, we started with very broad, general commands, these very sort of uh, broad strokes, large commands like offer your body as a living sacrifice. Or, um, you know, be transformed by the renewal of your minds. And we actually, when we preached those things, we just took it a verse at a time. There was so much to be said about that. However, you might have still had this sense of like, okay, what does it specifically mean to offer my body as a living sacrifice? And as Romans 12 progresses, it begins to answer that question specifically for you. There's this funnel action that happens. And the broad, general instructions that we started with begin to narrow and taper down into some very specific, concrete uh, ideas of what these things look like, what it means to offer your body as a living sacrifice. It means, well, in our text, to show hospitality to contribute to the needs of the saints, to be patient in tribulation, on and on and on. That, that's what's going on here. We're getting a fleshed out picture of these general instructions, for instance, to offer your body as a living sacrifice. So that, that's kind of the first thing that orients us. But the second thing I want to mention is actually the more significant one, and that's going to kind of guide our reflection today. And, and it has to do with a pattern that some New Testament scholars have noticed. It's a slight pattern because there's not a big sample size. But here's what it is. That when there's teaching on the spiritual gifts, and just so you remember from a few weeks ago and even last week, that's what we talked about. Romans 12 has a, a big section on the different spiritual gifts. So to go back to the pattern I was saying, when there's teaching on the spiritual gifts, it seems in the scripture that that is always followed up by teaching on the necessity and the priority of love. And so you see it maybe just slightly in Ephesians 4 with some teaching on spiritual gifts, and and that one's a little bit light. Um, because you see a, a bit about love there. But then you really see this 
in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, 13, and 14. This is the kind of the granddaddy of them all when it comes to teaching on the spiritual gifts. It's where so often that our minds go to when we think about what the spiritual gifts are, how to use them. Um, there's a, a listing of the gifts, just like we saw in Romans 12 last week. There's even the same body metaphor about how the different gifts work in one body that we saw last week in Romans 12. And then right after all that teaching in 1 Corinthians 12 on the spiritual gifts, what follows is probably the most profound passage, the most well-known passage on the necessity of love. I almost said the power of love there, but um, then I'd start singing that Huey Lewis song and that would be very distracting. So you might not know this. This is one of the things that it's like, you know it, but you don't know it. But here's the reason why I I think that you kind of know it in the back of your head. It is a passage that is the, it's probably preached at nine out of 10 weddings. It's one that maybe even you had preached or, or read at your wedding. You know the words, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not boast. It's a very well-known passage, but maybe the thing that you didn't know is that it follows right on the heels of this robust teaching on spiritual gifts and how to use them. And so that's why scholars are noticing this pattern with Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, and now we're going to add our text, Romans 12. It seems like whenever spiritual gifts are spoken about, it's always followed with just really pointed teaching about the necessity of love and how that is kind of the the foundational gift for all the spiritual gifts afterwards. Now, you might be thinking that our text that we read doesn't really fit into that pattern because, you know, we read, what did I say, 13 different commands. Only two of them explicitly mention love. In our verses, the very first one says, let love be genuine. And then right after that, love one another with brotherly affection. But that's, that's it in our little paragraph that actually names love explicitly. And it's true. It only pop, the word only pops up a couple of times. However, if we let this idea of the pattern kind of guide our thinking, and I think we should, then what it means is that actually this paragraph isn't about 13 different commands, 13 assorted kind of varied commands. It's actually about one command. The very first one we read, let love be genuine. And the 12 different things that follow after it are evidences or proofs of what genuine love actually looked like. You get that? Let me say it one more time, that this isn't about 13 random rapid fire commands. This is about one, let your love be genuine. And then after it, showing you 12 different ways in which love shows itself to be authentic and genuine and real. That's how we're going to kind of orient this passage today and say, okay, let's think about it, not in just this piecewheel, or excuse me, piecemeal kind of way, but let's think about it as this is teaching on love and trying to show us what genuine love actually looks like. 
And it follows on the spiritual gifts because it's telling us that it's very important that we practice and exercise and use our spiritual gifts in the context of love. So that's how it fits in the broader scheme of Romans 12. But for our particular purposes, it's going to help us really zero in on this passage and say, what does this teach me about genuine, true, authentic love? Well, let's try to answer that question right now. I mean, the, the simplest thing is just to read through the different descriptions. Be like, okay, well, you want to know what genuine love is? Well, it's what abhors what is evil, hold fast to what is good, loves one another with brotherly affection, outdoes one another in showing honor, on and on and on. Okay, we could do that and go through each one of those as a different evidence and kind of unpack what it means. But I think maybe what's more helpful and what I ended up doing um, yesterday uh, when I preached this in front of the congregation is I tried to kind of group these commands into two different categories. And each one of those categories would show us something big, show us something broad about what genuine love actually looks like. And here, here's how I went about it. I, I don't know. Maybe this is helpful. Maybe not so much. I hope it is. But I, what I saw first is that when you take together things like abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, and then down at the end of our text, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality. All of those things are very active. All those things are very, um, uh, what's a synonym for active? Well, let's just say action-oriented, even though that's very similar. All, the other commands are too, but these are ones that I feel like if you group them together, what it does is remind you that genuine love, true authentic love is way more than just a feeling. It's not just a feeling. It's alive. It's active. It works. Love does. That's using the title of a book that was kind of making its rounds around the church a few years ago, a book by a guy named Bob Goff that was just titled Love Does. And it's a great kind of description of what we're trying to say here. It is more than just a feeling. Love does. I think that we fall into this big trap culturally sometimes when we begin to, maybe we would never say it out loud, but the truth is we begin to think about of love just purely as an emotion as a passion, as kind of a, a heart attitude that has no real sort of function in action, in life. I mean, probably Hallmark cards are to blame for this, right? Or Hallmark movies. <laughs> but we can relegate love purely to the realm of emotion. And if we do that, we are missing a huge part of what the genuine love of the Bible actually is. Now, don't get me wrong. Love does include emotion and feeling and passion. Absolutely. In fact, one of the commands that we just read was love one another with brotherly affection. That word affection is reminding us that this is emotional. This is something that we feel. But it's way more than that. Here's what genuine love looks like according to this grouping of commands that we just made. It's an open home. It's an extra place setting at the dinner table when you got hardly, 
hardly any more space to fit anybody in. It's inviting somebody over to share Christmas or Easter or other special holidays and be part of your family, to feel like they're part of your family. It's, you know, viewing our home, which for many of us, myself included, is kind of a refuge, a safe space. It's the way to escape from other people if you're an introvert like me. And yet it's saying, no, my home is a refuge not just for me, but for others, for those in need, for those who need a friend. They're invited in. That's hospitality was the word in our text. And it's reminding us that that's part of how love shows itself. You know, there was another book making the rounds in the church a few years back. um, And it was called The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. Incredibly convicting book, but one that had the basic premise of the most simple yet effective way of really demonstrating the authentic love of the gospel is by inviting people into your home, showing the hospitality that our text mentioned here. So that's one of the ways that love is more than just a feeling. But another one is is right before we read about hospitality, we said contribute to the needs of the saints is what verse 13 says. This looks like caring for people when, you know, the the word in the text was when needs come up. This looks sometimes like just unprovoked generosity when it's not necessarily needed, but it's just given to contribute uh, to the life and love of the saints. How about just picking up a check at a restaurant just because you can, (laughs) because you want to, because you want to bless somebody with what God has given Or how about this? This is actually my favorite example. Very specific. Specific because it's happened in our church many times. Somebody is in a Bible study with a brother or sister. They hear a prayer request. They hear about a need. And the Lord puts it on their heart to take care of that need anonymously. So they'll come to me or Brian or Monica at the church office and say, Hey, can you get this check? Can you get this money to so-and-so who needs help with this. Don't tell them where it came from. Just tell them that somebody loves them and wants to help share the burden of this need. Oh, that's my favorite thing to do as a pastor is to kind of be the accomplice in that and give a a check or an envelope to somebody and they ask where it came from and I just have to play dumb. Be like, I don't know. Somebody loves you. Ah, that's contributing to the needs of the saints and that's how love shows itself to be more than just a feeling. It's it's active. It does. There's other commands that we saw grouped in together um, with this action-oriented stuff, outdoing one another and showing honor. I love that, this idea of kind of like, I'm not going to wait for you to show me honor. I'm not going to think about uh, if you've paid back the honor that I've showed you. I'm just going to try to outdo you in showing honor to showing love. Reminds me of 1st 13 where it talks about love not keeping accounts. There's no, there's no tally that we're keeping and saying, well, I'm only going to love somebody or show honor to somebody who deserves it or has shown honor to me. No, that's not genuine love. Genuine love seeks to outdo one another in showing honor. Now, the last thing I'm going to say with this grouping is actually the hardest one of all. 
It's at the very beginning of our text, right after we read, let love be genuine. We read this, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Genuine love, authentic love, hates. Man, that's, it, it sounds weird coming out of my mouth. I'll say it again. Genuine love hates. And not just any kind of hate. That word abhor there means a passionate, intense hatred. Exceedingly hate. And what does it hate? Well, it hates the things that have poisoned God's good creation. It hates the sins that are actively destroying men and women's lives. It hates the the pride and the arrogance and the hubris that would mock the holy, holy, holy God. It doesn't stand for those things. And, you know, I told you, this is the hardest one to speak about. And it's scary for me to speak about because I live in a culture, and you do too, where we see hatred all around us. People hate their political opponents. They hate other cultures. They hate people that think differently than them. They hate family members for some offense that happened long ago. And I don't want to add to that sort of swelling up in our culture of hate being okay. And in fact, next week, you are going to see the next paragraph we look at, which also talks about genuine love, is going to tell us what that looks like in loving our enemies. So this text is not trying to say, hate your neighbor, (laughs) hate people that disagree with you, hate people that are sinners, hate people that do things wrong. No. What it's trying to say instead is, please, if you're a genuine, a person, excuse me, a a person filled with genuine love, you're a person that is not callous, is not numb, and is not comfortable with evil. You haven't made friends with it. You haven't made peace with it. And not just in your lives, in the lives of that, those that you love. You're hospitable to them. You show compassion to them. You care for them. You speak the truth with love. But man, the things in their life that are hurting and harming them, you hate that. You're not numb to it. You feel intensely. It makes you weep. I think that's what this text is trying to tell us about what genuine love truly is. There's a lot more I could say about that. A lot I want to qualify about that and just make sure that I'm not being misunderstood or the Bible here is not being misused. Uh, But I think I'll leave it there for now. Um, Yeah, please talk with me more about that, though, if that is curious to you. I'd love to continue a conversation there. So that's the big first grouping. Uh, These... Um, commands at the beginning of the text and at the end that remind us that love is more than just a feeling. It does. It works. It's active. But now let's look at a second grouping. This is more kind of in the middle of our text that we saw. And this grouping of commands, well, it's going to tell us this, that love isn't fading, that genuine love is not fleeting but that it remains strong over time. It endures. It's resilient. So I'm getting this from, well, let's look here. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. That 
first command, don't, do not be slothful in zeal. What that's acknowledging is that we lose steam with things over time, especially if they're not new anymore. If they're not exciting, if there's not discovery to be made, we lose interest, we lose steam, and our activity with those things can kind of quiet down, plateau, or even decline. What this text is saying is that genuine love doesn't lose steam. It doesn't grow cold over time. But in fact, it remains fervent in spirit. That is alive, passionate. Even one translation I read this week said, on fire. And not just on fire for the sake of being on fire, but for the sake of serving the Lord. So the end goal of our zeal, our fervency, our love that doesn't grow cold is because it's directing at serving the Lord. You know, a truism that we see in our culture often is this idea that love, love goes away, that love fades in time. We fall out of love, we say, with people, or we expect that love can't remain, it's just the way it is. And that's not true about genuine love. Genuine love, the kind that the Bible speaks about, is not bound to fade. It's not bound to decline, but it remains zealous and strong. Partly because of what we said before, it's not just a feeling. It's so much more. But there's another way in which love remains strong, that love endures, and it has to do with when we come up against suffering and affliction and the hardships of living in a broken world. Look at that next grouping of commands. Verse 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Okay, that middle one, patient in tribulation. This is describing for us the reality that in the course of living a life of love, we are going to be blindsided by hardships and afflictions and sufferings. It's just, it's part of the reality in living in a broken world. And I know I don't have to prove that to you. If you're listening to this, you know that already. Life, it constantly can surprise you with how cruel and how hard it can be. And so the, the, the common knowledge, the, not common knowledge, the kind of the wisdom of the world <laughs> would say that when you are blindsided by affliction and suffering, like life often throws at you, that it kills your capacity for love. It freezes your heart. It makes it where you can't love in the way that you used to when you were young, when you hadn't experienced suffering, when you were optimistic and hopeful. The world says, no, it can't, it can't survive the hard things that happen. Well, genuine love, the kind that the Bible speaks about, would beg to differ. Say, actually, the pains of the world, the suffering, the affliction, the tribulation that we experience cannot kill our capacity for real, genuine love. Genuine love is resilient and genuine love endures. And interestingly enough, and a bit of kind of circular reasoning here, the reason genuine love endures is because it does the things described here. It's constant in prayer. 
it's patient in tribulation. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't, um, it, well, I can't think of what it doesn't do. Let me say what it does do. It, when we're waiting on the Lord, feeling like he hasn't answered us, or feeling like there, there's no real reason for optimism at all, we, we don't give up. We don't turn our back on him, but we, we say, Lord, I'm going to be here waiting for you in prayer as long as it takes. And finally, genuine love rejoices, even when it looks like there is nothing else to rejoice about. It rejoices in hope. It rejoices in the fact that there is one thing that suffering can never take away from us, and that is our redemption, our salvation in Jesus Christ, and our relationship with him. That's what genuine love endures. So, These two big groupings we've talked about. One of them told us that love is more than just a feeling. It's an action. It does. The other one showed us that love is not fleeting. Love is not fading. It remains strong. It endures. It's resilient. Those things tell us something about what genuine love looks like as opposed to counterfeit love, as opposed to a lesser love. But even though I told you there was only two groupings I wanted to talk about, there's one more thing I want to add. When I preached this on Sunday night, um, I asked the congregation their permission if I could add one more thing. And they said yes. So I'm going to pretend that you're saying yes too. And it's when we think about what genuine love is, it is good, as we have done, to talk about how it's more than just a feeling talk about that is not fleeting or fading but really the main answer the best answer we can give is that genuine love is what we see in the face of jesus christ it's what we see in his life i am i believe that the deeper you go into your relationship with jesus the more you kind of just root yourself in him you begin to see him everywhere. You begin to see Christ showing up. Pretty much every Bible passage you read, you're going to see something that points you back to Jesus. And maybe that's what he meant when he told us in John that, I believe it's John 8, when he says, all the scriptures speak about me. And I believe that this is incredibly true. Reading through this scripture that we've talked about is kind of disorienting because you've got all these rapid fire commands, 13 different commands coming at you, boom, 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 boom. And yet, as you sit in it and read it, what you begin to see is that I see Jesus in this text. I see the life of Christ. I see the way that he loves his people. I see the way he loves me. When we're told that genuine love abhors what is evil, I see Jesus flipping over the tables in the temple because people had, had gathered into the court of the Gentiles, the place where the Gentiles would be invited to know the true God. And they had turned that place instead into a spot for money changers and greedy gain. He hated that. He abhorred what was evil. When we read about loving one another with brotherly affection, I think of of Jesus telling his disciples, I haven't just called you servants. I haven't called you slaves. I've called you friends. I've called you brothers. 
when we read about outdoing one another and showing honor, I see Jesus come to John the Baptist to be baptized. And John the Baptist is like, Jesus, you should be baptizing me. What business do I have baptizing you? And Jesus says, no, John, you're going to baptize me. I'm going to give you the honor of baptizing me. When we read about do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, you know, we talked about that with the fact that love uh, doesn't fade away when it's not new or interesting anymore. And I just think of Jesus' patient love towards his disciples who often messed things up, often didn't understand, but he loved them to the end. Oh my goodness, and I don't want to beat up on the disciples. I could say the same about myself. I've known Jesus and been in a relationship with him for decades now, and yet he loves me. And he loves you. Hasn't gotten tired of you or disinterested. And finally, I read about rejoicing in hope and be patient in tribulation. And I see Jesus who endured the cross, shed his blood to forgive the sins of those that had turned away so that any who believe in him any who believe in him as the son of God and the savior of sinners would have life. Jesus' love was active there and his love couldn't be killed by tribulation. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us for the love that was, excuse me, not the love, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Rejoice and hope. That's what genuine love looks like. So, What I'm trying to say here, guys, is this text does a lot of things. It it convicts us. It shows us the ways in which our love is, is truncated and immature. And it brings us to our knees in confession saying, Lord, forgive me for not loving well, for not loving genuinely. So that's one thing the text does. It convicts us. It also instructs us. It shows us how to grow, how to mature in this love how to make our love more and more genuine. It teaches us that. But more than anything, it points us to Christ. It points us back to knowing, meditating on, sinking deeply in the truths of how he has loved his people and given all for them. I read about this text and it reminds me of some people in my life. It reminds me of people that that have loved well. But I'll tell you what, Even the most admirable people have never loved faithfully and consistently the way that Jesus Christ has. There is only one who has loved my soul and loved your soul like what is described here in Romans 12. And it's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of sinners. As you read this text... As you try to (laughs) wrap your head around these rapid-fire instructions, I pray that you would soak it up for all it's working in your heart and your soul. But I beg you, don't miss the fact that it is pointing you back to your Jesus so that once again you could revel in the love that he has for his people and the way that he's loved you. If you want to grow in your love, if you want to mature in genuine love, you start here with considering how Jesus has loved you. That's it for today, my friends. Thanks for sticking with me in this odd setup on Monday morning. 
Um, but Lord willing, the Lord will bless this word for you in the same way he would have if you were able to hear on Sunday morning or Sunday evening. Let me finish uh, with a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for giving us your word, for not leaving us in the dark about who you are or who we are or what you've done for your people, but giving us the Bible to read, to meditate upon, to encourage one another with. And I pray that these words of the Bible that we consider today would bear fruit in our heart and our lives. They would make us a people that love one another well and make us a people that are eyes open focused on the love of Jesus and how we've seen it in our life. It's in his name, the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.